Welcome to Press Room on Radio Town. Presented by Garrard's Horse and Hound. Making shopping easier with their online store. The same extensive catalogue, the same keen prices online or over the phone. 1-800-060-896 or visit horseandhound.com.au. And good morning, everyone. Thanks for your company on Press Room, Monday the 27th of November. Big show coming up. Ben Dorries on the line not too far away. Of course, always interested in what your views or your news, agree or disagree, happy to hear from you. I think you should know the drill by now, but if you don't, you can text me at 0499-PUNTER. That's 0499-786-837. Or you can tweet me at Radio Tab Oz. And don't forget with the podcast, we tweet that out each week on the Radio Tab Oz link. Or you can go to Spotify and search under Radio Tab. Press room each and every Monday. Brought to you with the compliments of Garrard's Horse and Hound. There's no two ways about it. Turnover is down on Metropolitan Thoroughbred Racing in Queensland. The facts don't lie and they create some interesting observations. A few months ago, you might remember we discussed in our opening remarks the reason for this turnover downturn. But with the recent data now on the table, it's also worth commenting on that again. The four BRC meetings in October this year, compared to the four in 2022, is a genuine apples versus apples exercise. Two of the meetings suffered marginal drops, but the other two were much larger. And in the first three meetings of November this year, 10 races compared with nine run in 2022. So you'd say it'd be $1.01, the turnover had to be greater. Yet one of those three meetings was less with an extra race. Now that's disturbing. It will be borne out over time that this 10-race experiment that we're, that's currently underway will partially offset the wagering downturn. Now, while we can only comment with authority on Brisbane racing, Press Room has spoken to those with broader knowledge of figures in other states, and the trend is clearly national. So again, we return to the point, why is it so? And I'm, I'm now more than convinced the cost-of-living crisis is the main driver, not the only, but the main driver of this turnover downturn. Since we last spoke on the issue, cost of living has not improved but worsened. Bedding's a luxury of sorts and not an essential spend. So it's not hard to understand that the recreational partner spends, say, $80 instead of 100 for example, because the $20 has to go into the family budget. The cost of living crisis is not a motherhood statement. It's a genuine, ongoing concern. And betting on racing is just one of its many victims. You're listening to Press Room on Radio Tab. Well, what about Equinox? We uh, knew he was going to the Japan Cup yesterday as a short price favourite. And again, he took our breath away with a spectacular win. Ben Dorries joins me. And Ben, uh, it's amazing. There's often in racing so many conversations and discussions and disagreements. And everyone's entitled to an opinion. But I think on this one, everyone agrees. It's, It's across the board. It's a unity ticket. He's rated the best horse in the world and obviously is the best horse in the world. Yeah, no arguments there, David. And look, I suppose the other thing I'd say too is, I mean, for all the funky, different, uh, some terrific, some ridiculous uh, ways of promoting racing and looking at new innovations and new ways of doing things that we've seen in Australia and through other parts of the world, do you know what? At the nub of the matter, sometimes all you need is a bloody good horse. Uh, you know, a horse that 100%. draws eyeballs, draws people to the track. The problem is, they don't come around every day, do they? I mean, the the the, the winxes, the black caviars, the equinoxes. Uh, you know, there's you know, there's not a horse like that running around every day of the week, is there? So, look, but I suppose at the end of the day, whether it's racing, whether it's a Shane Warne in in, in cricket, or whether it's a Tiger Woods in golf. You know, the best of the best. It uh, doesn't matter how you innovate, how you sell them, uh, people just gravitate towards them, and Equinox is certainly that. It was a spectacular race to watch. You had that tearaway leader so far in front, and, and still a long way in front when they strained for home, but he just went through his gears, and they're, <laughs> they're very, very good gears, and he then swept by to win. His time, not quite as fast as Armand Eye's track record, but certainly not far outside of it. I suppose that the, the most interesting thing post-race is what happens now? Is retirement beckoning or is there another run? There was no sort of firm statement made by Connections after the race, so that will be very interesting. 
Yeah, we'll have to wait and see, won't we? I mean, there was a lot of stuff I read in uh, in Japanese, but unfortunately, I can't read Japanese, David, so I'm not exactly sure what most of it actually said. But look, I think, um, I mean, one thing we do have to, we just have to savour this sort of stuff, don't we? Because, I mean, some of these horses are here one minute and gone the next, aren't they? You know, horses can, can go and miss or head to retirement or, you know, stud duties or whatever. So, Look, I don't think we look too far forward with Equinox. Um, we, we just enjoy it for what it is. And if you haven't actually seen the replay, go on, on Twitter or social media or YouTube. Do yourself a favour. Uh, have a look today. It'll bring a smile to your face for sure. Mm, yeah, that was the sixth, sixth group one. And uh, I feel somewhat for the connections of Liberty Island. What a wonderful filly she is. But, of course, running into a, just an out-and-out champion. So that was Equinox. Uh, just one final thing to you know when I was watching the race yesterday it was late afternoon I actually thought of Joe Pride can you imagine how he would have felt being there like this was the whole part of the holiday and to watch that he'll never forget that that moment either oh and what about his young son Brave who I suspect will one day I mean Joe's still a pretty young man himself but one day I think he'll take over his father's training business I mean in 20-30 years time when Brave's training uh, by himself, it could be sooner than that. Obviously, he'll be telling clients, uh, owners, and jockeys, and and whatever, and fellow trainers about the day uh, that he was a teenage kid and he was there to see Equinox. On to other matters. There's been a long-running inquiry, and and that's an understatement. It came to what I describe as an extraordinary halt or an unusual halt this week or last week. Just just take us through it. Yeah, look, this is this Chris Munt's uh, matter. I mean, it had been going on for more than three years, if you don't mind. I, I mean, look, in terms of ridiculousness, this has to be right up there with a capital R, you know, for, for ridiculousness. As I said, I reckon previously on this show, I mean, you've seen cold case, criminal cases, you know, murders sold in less time than, than, than this investigation took. Look, when it all boils down to it, I mean, uh, this was more than three years ago. Stewards were able, only able to lay one successful charge of um, alleged race day treatment, which Chris, Chris Munts pleaded guilty to three years ago. Um, so that was that that small bit of the case was done and dusted. But then, you know, Stewards reopened the case on a number of times, looking at supposed CCT, CCTV evidence. Um, but look, um, the argument from Chris Munts' legal team was it was impossible on the CCTV footage to identify any of the horses and, you know, what was actually shown in the CCTV. So, look, it's had, you know, more false starts, this inquiry, than, you know, a 100-metre sprint race at the Olympics. And finally, um, after Stewart shut down this, the most recent inquiry in July to consider the latest submissions, Chief Stewart Josh Adams informed uh, Munts and his family of the decision on Wednesday. But, look... The decision was basically to to not push forward with with this matter anymore. But one thing that was kind of bizarre, uh, you know, and I'll just read off a statement here. It was acknowledged by Curie with the passage of time that the recollection of stable staff about matters pertinent to the allegations was now limited. Well, that just seems quite bizarre to me. I mean, look, if you've got a case, you've got a case. If you haven't, you haven't. I, I mean, and I must say, if the passage of time has been a problem... Well, that's the stewards' problem. I mean, yeah, they, they could have prosecuted if they had a, if they had a watertight case. They could have prosecuted this case, uh, you know, many years ago. So, look, it's a bizarre one, I've got to say, and it doesn't probably. Um, I mean, Keurig's come out. I've got to say, looking quite frankly, ridiculous out of it. Um, it's just, it's just a bizarro world one that I just. I mean, look, we could go into all the ins and outs, but we don't have time on this program, but. For something to sort of be on foot for three years and then suddenly dropped. I mean, think about the hundreds of thousands of dollars that both sides have spent. And I mean, the Keurig side is effectively taxpayer money, isn't it? You know, that, that's just been sort of effectively thrown down the drain with this one. So, look, be interesting to see where this heads. I mean, you think the Racing Minister, Grace Grace, would have a you know, very keen eye on, on this sort of business and be looking uh, at Keurig, perhaps, and the workings of it. I mean, it's... Um, yeah, there might be some more ramifications to come from this, I reckon, because it really is, I think, especially the three years that it took to get to this point, it's just not aren't it ridiculous. Your thoughts, David? Yeah, it, look, it, it's no secret within the, the beltway of racing, and a lot of our listeners may not be fully aware of this, Curic has been under the gun from the industry uh, here in Queensland in recent weeks. Uh, there's been meetings, there's been deputations made. This latest incident doesn't help their cause one iota. It was a poor look 
to say the least. Speaking of inquiries, uh, now the Jamie Carr, Ruby McIntyre inquiry resumes today. Now, it kicked off a fortnight ago. It was supposed to, well, the second part was supposed to be held the following day, but that was then delayed. Just take us back to why that happened. Well, to be honest, I don't actually really know why it happened, David, but uh, for, you know, whatever happened, it's been delayed until uh, today, kicks off this morning. So basically where we're at is star jockey Jamie Carr and stable hand Ruby McIntyre will be appearing before the Victorian Racing Tribunal to continue this hearing into this white powder saga. And you remember that Carr and McIntyre uh, pleaded not guilty to a, a conduct a charge conduct uh, prejudicial to racing when the hearing first uh, commenced and look, <clears throat> one of the bits of evidence um, that was brought up in the uh, first bit of the inquiry was an alleged caption of this picture, uh, which is which is obviously done the rounds that, that uh, Ruby McIntyre allegedly captioned this image on social media with, and and the caption. Uh, read and these are allegations obviously at this point something to add to the list of things I never thought I'd be doing doing coke with Jamie Carr and another friend at her house until 3am and staying the night however uh, during the evidence uh, that we heard the first time around uh, Ruby McIntyre said that caption was not written by her Uh, she said quote I'm not sure where the actual messages and the photo and the screenshot in this format has come from McIntyre says so look there's obviously a fair bit more to play out uh, today Um, Jamie Carr obviously was over in Perth on the weekend riding uh, in the Group 1 railway with no success uh, to Valu uh, was disappointing. Um, but, look, it's obviously uh, an interesting one for the entire the racing industry to follow. There's a few bigger names in racing than Jamie Carr is there. So we uh, watch this space, David. Yeah, uh, that may, by what you've just said, that may well have been the reason for that uh, delay that it didn't go ahead the following day that I think maybe... Uh, that screenshot, the validity of the authenticity of it after McIntyre's comments had to be checked out. So we'll follow that today. That will be a story ongoing. I think that inquiry starts at around in around 40 minutes' time. Now, we're currently in our summer carnival. Uh, we've had uh, two days, the, the big day of the Sunshine Coast and Tattles is on Saturday. Are you saying we should extend our summer carnival or shorten our summer carnival? Have you got? A, I think you've got a thought. You want to tell me something? Yeah, I do, David. And look, I can hear the howls of protest already from all sorts of people. But look, I think less is more in terms of racing. I think we've got to have a, a punchy product. I think we've got to really sell the best bits of our product. And if we're calling something a carnival... Uh, we've really, really got to make sure it's 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 the best carnival we can put up at that particular time. Now, I've got no problem with the quality of the racing in the last couple of weeks. Obviously, we had the Tats Day there uh, and the Sunshine Coast meeting, which I must say was terrific the, the weekend before. But would you call them carnival race days? I'm not sure. I think, personally, uh, George Moore Stakes Day... Uh, this Saturday, and obviously there's a big country uh, atmosphere as well with those country races. To me, uh, this feels like summer carnival starting this week. I, I would not say that the last two race meetings on Saturdays have necessarily, I wouldn't call them summer carnival. I mean, it, for starters, it actually hasn't even been summer. It's been November, not December. And look, I just think if we're promoting our summer carnival, particularly to people who tune in from Victoria and New South Wales, Tasmania and Western Australia, I just reckon we've got to make sure we're really delivering them bang for their buck and it does have a carnival feel about it. And to me, and I can understand that people disagree, and you may, David, but uh, to me, I think this Saturday signifies uh, the start of Queensland summer carnival and it will be summer. And I just think you could prune two weeks off the start of it. Still have those race meetings. Um, no drums in the world, but just don't call them the summer carnival. Just my thoughts, David. I, I take your point. Look, just before you go, Mitch Cohen's about to join us. You wrote a story during the week, and there's a lot of stories that, that I enjoy. This was a beauty with Tommy Berry. Now, if you didn't see it on Racenet, Ben, just take us through it, because this is a ripper. Well, <clears throat> to be quite frank, I couldn't believe Tommy told me this, but good on him for doing so. I loved his, I loved his honesty. It's a fair way after the fact. But, look, in 2000 and uh, seven, we might remember there was an equine influenza outbreak which shut down racing on the eastern seaboard. So Tommy Berry and his and his twin brother Nathan, who obviously sadly has now passed away, but they uh, went to Perth to ride as, as young apprentices, 17-year-old uh, apprentices. So they were over there in 2007, just young kids finding their way. Now Tommy told me the story last week of how Nathan 
he was he was I don't know, in love is probably a, a bit strong, but he he was very keen on this on this girl, and he had a hot date with this girl soon after the races, uh, you know, a Saturday race meeting, and uh, really looking forward to the date. Anyway, uh, it's got to the last race, and Nathan has dead set knocked over half the field in the, in the last race, and thought, uh oh, I'm going to be in the stewards' inquiry, and the stewards beckoned him in. They said, look, we need to see you in ten minutes, Nathan Berry. So Nathan has quietly gone over to Tommy and said. <laughs> Look, I'm not missing this date. Oh, this girl's just tremendous. You're going to have to go in for me in this stewards inquiry. Of course, they're identical twins, and double. For, <coughs> pardon me, and double for me. Pretend you're me. So that's exactly what he did. So Tommy went in there, and uh, he had no idea what he was looking at because obviously he hadn't ridden, ridden the horse that created uh, created the interference. That was Nathan. So he's gone and said, "Oh, look, I just created a little bit of interference. There wasn't much in it." And then they've shown in the video, and Nathan's dead set. Uh, knocked down half the field. So, look, Nathan ended up getting two weeks. So Tommy rang him and said, look, I hope the date goes really well because you're going to be spending the next two weeks with us. So it was good of him to tell me that story. I was I was a little bit worried, actually, when he did. I thought, gee whiz, I hope he can't get in trouble for this because it's, uh, yeah, obviously, they, yeah, technically, by the letter of the law, they did the wrong thing. But I think with the passage of time, and obviously Nathan has passed, uh, I thought it was a crackingly good story. And, and you know what? We need our personalities in sport, don't we, David? It'd be a boring, boring world if everyone was vanilla. So, yep, that was the day that Tommy Tommy Berry deputised for his brother Nathan uh, in a steward's hearing. So there you go. Outstanding story. Good on you, mate. Have a good day. Thanks, David. Bye-bye. Ben Dorries joined us. Ben, of course, going to the Winterbottom Stakes in Perth on Saturday, at Ascot on Saturday. He'll be with us on Press Room on Uh, He'll be with us on Past the Post on Sunday morning with a live report from the big day next Saturday. Mitch Cohen's joining us on the golf course, I suggest. Mitch, good morning. How are you? Yes, good morning, David. Yes, out here on the golf course for Galton's annual golf day, which has become um, a little bit of a thing here in Sydney, but um, all the usual suspects out here. James Cummings, obviously, um, was on the winning team last year. Um, So ready for that where you will. But James, obviously, a very... Andy Golfer, um, but you're a good day out here. Very sunny day in Sydney. But what we saw over the weekend, that's for sure. What's your handicap in golf? Do you have one? Oh, I don't have one, but I would say it's about 27 or above. So, um, look, mate, I, uh, if I can if I can get a par, I'm a happy man on, on any hole. So, it's it's uh, look, I'm a battler at best. I do have a hole in one once in my life. I was a 16 year old, <laughs> so I feel like I peaked way too soon. Way too soon. <laughs> We won't hold you up, but uh, a few things to talk about. Look, Bong Bong is probably the best-known picnic meeting in Australia, and there was a really good story coming out of Bong Bong from last Friday regarding one of the jockeys who rode there. What a story this was, really. It just You get these stories every so often in racing, and we know, obviously, um, a lot of jockeys sort of retire towards the back end of their... Uh, towards, uh, I guess, the ages of 50, but rarely do you get a, a rider that's in his 60s I'm talking about Anthony Tubber-Williams, who wanted to get back in the saddle and have a ride. Look, in the most amazing thing about this story, David, is earlier this year, he was nearly touching 100 kilos. He was maybe 30 grams off, um, 300 grams, I should say, off 100 kilos. He's gone on a, a rigorous diet plan where he was fasting uh, for most of the day and then ended up being down to sort of one meal a day while exercising, 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 ended up getting down to 62 and a half to ride in the Bong Bong Cup. So how good a story is that? He obviously uh, was riding track work up at Scone for people like Rod Northam, who gave him a Bong Bong ride. It didn't go to plan in the Bong Bong Cup. He finished fourth. But just to get out there, what a story. Uh, I mean, what a cheap for, for, for Tubber to get out there. He, he can't be called Tubber anymore. He was obviously called Tubber uh, for obvious reasons. You can read between the lines of why. Uh, but yeah, he's, he's got out there and, and he's lived uh, 44 years it was, 44 years since he's last ridden. He, he rode as an apprentice, but he just got too heavy. Um, it just never worked out for him. But obviously, picnic uh, meetings are a bit higher weight and he was able to get down there and, and ride in his 60s. It's just incredible. Unbelievable story. I see Gay and, and Adrian uh, set a horse there for the cup at Red second, though. Uh, am I right in saying, was Kieran Mara at Bong Bong? He was there, and I actually spoke to him on uh, Saturday at the races, and he said, you must have been at Bongo, and he said, yes, I was, and we asked him, well, and what did you think? And he goes, well, basically, that was carnage, loved every minute of it, I'll be back, it won't be the last time, 
And it certainly, um, you wouldn't expect, uh, wouldn't be surprised if he has a runner there next year. He's certainly contemplating it now. Love the day, was on track. Uh, he'll be back. And um, next year he could be going head-to-head with the, the likes of Gay Waterhouse there. Yeah, exactly. Well, of course, uh, he and his uh, training partner, David Eustace, had a big day, uh, not only at uh, at Kembla, but also at, at Cranbourne. But detonator Jack won, won the gong. There was consideration or talk that the Ingham, you know, could be a, the next stepping stone, but the Ballarat Cup's on the same day. And what's your gut feeling, Ballarat Cup or Ingham? He, he was pretty stern on Ballarat Cup after the win on Saturday. Uh, a few of the ownership group are from Ballarat, so they're pretty keen on having a runner in the Ballarat Cup on, on the day. And obviously he would be a great chance based on his performance in the gong on Saturday. He had a couple of near misses, obviously, in the Five Diamonds prelude and the Five Diamonds, finishing among the placings there and close. He just he was almost the, the spring is nearly end in some of Sydney's um, feature races, but he, he certainly got the detail on Saturday well, heavy track. Terrific ride from Jason Collett. They put for him. Look, they're gonna, he's, he's pretty deep in his preparation now, but he seems to be handling his work well. So, look, it looks like the Ballarat Cup, obviously, the Ingham does give you, provide uh, Doncaster eligibility or um, straight into the field, but uh, that, that hometown cup for a few of the owners uh, could mean a little bit more. Yeah, so he was the he was the winner of the big race, the Gong. But there were a couple of other performances on the undercut. I, I want to comment on. I want you to comment on because uh, they look like they've got promising futures. Shadow of Love was one, and Victory Lane was the other. Shadow of Love was yeah, really good early in the day. We noticed um, there, there seemed to be a pattern a bit early, or somewhat questioning, I guess, the pattern. If it was hard to make up ground, now Shadows of Love certainly made um, a mockery of that theory coming from near last, rocketing home. She looks like a mare of some potential. Actually had some, some mates there that have got, I think they might own uh, a toenail in them. But uh, look, I think they were very excited. And so was Kimor after the race. I suggested is, it, uh, is she a provincial sort of midway championship horse for next year? And she goes, to be honest, I think she's even better than that. So uh, whether they dip up to the carnival um, just for, a, a, I guess, a stake trade in Queensland in the coming weeks, uh, potentially on the radar, but she's just slowly taking him through the, the grade, uh, her through the grades at the moment. It looks like a, a really promising type. The other one was Victory Lane. Now, speaking of those provincial midway championships, Luke Price straight after the race said, I think he's the perfect horse for this series. So, look, his win was excellent. He's obviously raced without luck this preparation. With I think he drew Barry 20 of 20 in the four pillars. Now, I don't know about you, but I just don't think they can win from there ever. But, uh, look, he, he got a better draw on his home track. And, and, and what a great thing to see for, for the prices. Obviously, they won that race, uh, the gong, two years ago in the same colours with Count de Rupi, who tragically passed away in the lead-up to last spring. They've now had a winner on their home track on this day three years in a row. Exactly right. And just before you go, of course, it's the winter bottom this Saturday and the New South Wales uh, overpass, New South Wales Australian overpass, is the $2.80 favourite. Of course, he won the Quokka there earlier in the year, that slot race uh, with $4 million. Uh, he looks very hard to beat in this race. I see he's had a trial at Hawkesbury a couple of Mondays ago since he ran in the Everest. Yeah, he did. And I spoke to Bjorn last uh, last week. He's obviously heading over as is Josh Parr to continue his relationship with this horse. Um, look, they're, pretty, they're ha- really happy with how he's travelled over there. Obviously, it just didn't go to plan on Everest Day. Uh, the way he ran was probably really un- uncharacteristic of what we've seen of him. He landed in the perfect spot, um, leading and on speed as he usually does and just didn't let down like he usually did. It's a bit of a, I guess, one of those performances where you just put a line through because there was no issues with the horse. He just didn't turn up on the day and we get that with horses. He goes over to the west again. Obviously a very happy hunting ground. I'm sure the Ram Racing boys will be there who obviously watched him, uh, signed him up for the Quokka last year and it looks like um, he's every chance of landing up in the Quokka this year. So, look, I think Bjorn Baker, if he wins, will have a very, very sore head again on, on Sunday morning. Exactly right. You enjoy your day. Don't you get a sore head? Oh, I never would. Good on you, mate. Talk next week. Cheers, mate. There he is, Mitch Cohen, on the golf course, reporting for us here on Press Room. Chris Barsby's about to join me. I just wanted to acknowledge uh, the uh, winners of the Horse of the Year categories, of course, uh, announced in Perth during the week, and no surprise that Animo was the was the Horse of the Year. It was a great result for Godolphin because they also had the champion three-year-old filly within secret, and Giga Kick was the champion three-year-old Caldor Gelding. And, of course, he did extremely well. He was also the champion sprinter.
winning uh, winning the Everest and the Newman 10,000, the all-aged. Shinzo champion, two-year-old. Gold trip champion, stay, courtesy of the Melbourne Cup. Shinzo, of course, courtesy of the Golden Slipper. Uh, Stern Idol was the champion jumper. I'm Invincible, champion sire. And from the uh, human side of things, Chris Waller and, and James McDonald. Chris Waller, champion group one trainer. And James McDonald, champion group one jockey. They were announced in Perth during last week. Chris Barsby's on the line now. Chris, good morning. David, good morning to you. Good morning, everyone. Now we're on countdown. It's day by day to the first round of heats for ID23 at Albion Park on Friday night. I'm going to come to that uh, series in just a moment. But since we spoke last Monday, there's been two uh, significant developments in regarding the horse pool. Uh, First up, it's been confirmed that Swayze will run in the Inter-Dominion series. And I'm sure... Queensland officials breathed a big sigh of relief because this was one they didn't want to lose. Yeah, spot on, David. Uh, this was the big one, Swayze returning to Brisbane. Of course, we saw him here during the, the, the winter, and he was dynamic during the winter, uh, ultimately claiming the Blacks are fake, defeating Leap to Fame. Keeping in mind, these two horses are brothers, Swayze a year older than Leap to Fame. So, so uh, Swayze was able to get him in the uh, in the Blacks are fake. He's since gone on to win the New Zealand Cup. So this sets up a great rematch, brotherly love here. But it's Leap to Fame, the local, that is the clear favourite. So punters, it's going to be fascinating, Dave, just to see how they react uh, with Swayze. Does he get a little easy in the market? How do they treat him with that first round of heat starting on Friday night? It's going to be very interesting to see how punters go about it. But this this is a big boost for Racing Queensland that Swayze is returning for the series. Well, that's a big boost, but I suppose a disappointment. This was the other development during the week that Emma Stewart decided... No, nothing, zilch, uh, zip, nothing coming for ID23. Was that a surprise or was that not a surprise? Um, two schools of thought here, David. Firstly, the uh, the nomination was, was free, so that probably explains why there was such a big pool of horses mm. for both series, Paces and Trotters. Now we're at the crunch stage. Money's got to be uh, changing hands here. So, in a way, there was probably a few that were nominated that you knew weren't going to be coming. Ladies in Red being a prime example there. Um, Last week, uh, there was that school of thought that, you know, she'll have a representative, probably more than likely Mac Dam, but after he raced last weekend, they decided no horses would be representing that stable. So, it's disappointing, but not a complete shock, given how uh, the series was set up. So no nomination fee. Now that we've got down to the crunch stage and these 36 horses have been confirmed for the pacing series, 24 for the trotters, money needs to change hands. That that rules out a lot of horses. So we're down to the nitty-gritty. So those that were always going to be coming, they were prepared to pay up. So that probably explains that situation. Speaking of money changing hands, punters are putting their money on Leap to Fame. For so long, he was black figures. Only just at $2, he's now at $1.80 to win the Inter-Dominion Grand Final on the 16th of December. Swayze, we've just been talking about at $4. And both Rock and Roll Do and Hi, My Name's Jeff have trimmed up somewhat to $7.58 with better Eclipse at 11 And that quintetta then well clear of the others, headed by Spirit of St. Louis at $21. This uh, hi, my name is Jeff, another Grimson runner. Just give us the background to him. We haven't talked about him much. No, he's he's a fascinating horse. He's had his fair share of injury concerns throughout his career, and he's had a number of different stables as well along the way. So uh, he was with uh, Tim Butt originally once he came across from New Zealand. Uh, Then he ended up going to Victoria, where he's been with uh, Russell and Nathan Jack, and now he's since been transferred to the care of Jason Grimson. And he's on a bit of a run. He was successful there on Saturday night. So they outlined... Now, he's an interesting one because outlined uh, in in an article recently by Adam Hamilton, by the owner, that they weren't going to target this series. They said the track wouldn't suit him because they took him down to Melbourne for a shot of the Victoria Cup. He never got comfortable on that track, which is the same size as Albion Park. So many were expecting this horse to be ruled out. And then once the uh, the deadline came, uh, they were paid up for. Hi, my name is Jeff and Swayze, ultimately. So he's definitely coming. So how's he going to handle the track? Well, it'll be interesting to see, but uh, the owner obviously doesn't think he will but the trainer does uh, obviously think he will handle Albion Park but he's a very good front runner uh, yet to prove himself at the elite level so he's a fascinating horse in many ways of course Jason Grimson chasing his third straight into Dominion after winning with Bonsell Benjamin 
and I cast a shadow. Now, I mentioned this earlier, so we kick off on Friday night. Just give us a, 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 a broad brush of how this series runs night by night. So uh, we've got nominations closing this morning. Uh, that'll be at 10 o'clock this morning. The acceptances and fields will be released tomorrow. Uh, so that's for the first round of heats this Friday night. So we'll have four heats on Friday night for the paces. Fields of nine over the mile. So they've just got that little bit of extra room. Uh, as far as the trotters are concerned, they've confirmed uh, just in the last week that they're only running the 24. There was that possibility. They would stretch it out to 36, but they were originally going with 24, and that's what they've decided. So They'll have two heats on Friday night. We then go to next Tuesday night. Uh, next Tuesday night will be 2,138 metres. This Friday night, the mile, the sprint heat. So just going back to a Friday night, there's going to be three heats of eight for the trotters. So four right. heats of nine, three heats of eight for the trotters. And then after uh, Friday night, so Tuesday and Saturday week, we'll go back to three heats for the paces and then two heats for the trotters as they get up in distance. So next Tuesday night, 2,138 metres. The last round of heats will be the grand final distance of 2,600 metres, and then uh, the final will come up on December 16. One thing amazes me out of that, and and I scratch my head sometimes, which I often do, the big uh, buzzword, and understandably so, uh, is turnover, uh, maximising turnover, creating the best turnover you can. Why the hell is that meeting on Tuesday in the night and not in the day? If it was run Tuesday afternoon, which, of course, every other Tuesday meeting at Albion Park is, that's what we know, Albion Park Tuesday afternoon. If it was run on Tuesday afternoon, the turnover would be so far in front of what it's going to be on Tuesday night. Tuesday is not one of the strongest days of the week for, for turnover. We know that. We get that. But you've got to try and maximise it. Wouldn't Tuesday afternoon have been a far better result than Tuesday night? And as well, from the club's point of view, you could have really created a good atmosphere, you know, come out for a long lunch, have a good afternoon. Uh, I just am amazed that it's being run on on the night time rather than the daytime. I'm not going to disagree. Uh, the other buzzword that we hear a lot now is is POD, point of difference. So maybe they think going Tuesday night is the point of difference to make it a little bit better. Just going back to that uh, first round of heats this Friday night. So four heats of nine for the paces. That's OK. I'm fine with that. So we're going to three heats of eight. What happens if there's a scratching? You just mentioned turnover is the key thing here. If we have a scratching from one of those trotting heats, um, that reduces the field to seven there's no third dividend so we're going to be missing out there as well so that's just another little uh, case that i sort of focused on a little bit during the week i just thought it's all about turnover but there's just a few things if they go wrong they could go wrong in a bad way yeah we look forward to seeing those fields on for friday night tomorrow one of the most popular functions of an inter-dominion carnival is the barrier draw uh as, as far as ID23 barrier draw is concerned. Will the public be able to turn up and watch this? Uh, I don't believe so, David. No, because it's being staged at uh, Tangaluma Resort over there on Morton Island. So uh, unless you're over there on holiday, I don't think you'll get the chance to turn up and uh, uh, just tune in and, and, and um, you know, watch the uh, the barrier draws unfold. So what's, what's the rationale behind that? I, I have no idea. I think they were, again, looking for a POD, a point of difference, and thought this was the best option. So just in the, the, the school of uh, thinking that I've got from uh, the, the licensees, they're a little frustrated by this because it's a whole day extravaganza. So they've got horses to work in the morning, then they've got to get themselves to Albion Park because they're running a bus from Albion Park to the, to the ferry and then on the ferry across to the island. So they're giving up a whole day where they're trying to get their horses absolutely primed and ready to go for these grand finals. So it was met with a little frustration while we're going to Morton Island. Um, and, and you've got to commit for the whole day. You can't just slip out the side door and leave after your barrier draw has been done. So it's it's a different one. So hopefully it goes well for racing Queensland. But um, it's, a, it's an odd choice, that's for sure. See, they, they keep, they, they're keeping doing things from stopping me attending things. They won't let me attend the grand final because of the, the, the start time of the grand final. Now they won't let me go to the barrier draw. They know I don't drive. The taxi can't get there. It's too expensive and I can't swim. So mm. I can't get to the barrier draw either. They could have held it at King George Square, for example. That, of course, uh, would be too hard to do. Anyway, uh, before we go, uh, 
apart from the Inter Dominion series itself, we're also running the uh, Australasian Young Drivers Championship. And uh, who are our Queensland reps? Uh, Angus Gerrard will be representing Queensland along with Leonard Kane. So they're the two local boys that will represent their state. And they're going to go up against a, a, a wide variety of talented drivers throughout the Southern Hemisphere. So from New Zealand, we've got Zev Meredith and Crystal Hackett along with Sarah O'Reilly. Mitch Ford, Tasmania, Emily Savelko, Western Australia, Corey Johnson, South Australia, James Herbertson, Victoria, and Josh Gallagher, who won the Inter Dominion two years mm. ago with Bonsell Benjamin. He's going to return for this series. So it's a good lineup of drivers. So looking forward to this series. It starts on Tuesday, December 12, and the final will take place on grand final night, which is September, uh, Saturday, December 16. I was discussing off air some, some notes with you about what we were going to talk about. And, you know, one thing that I nearly forgot, and I'm glad I, I picked it up late, uh, again, congratulations to, to Graham Dwyer and the team winning with not as promised on Breeders' Crown Night. Yeah, this is huge, David, uh, in so many ways. Uh, yeah, absolutely. This is a Queensland-trained trotter that's dominating at the moment. He won the Victoria Trotters Derby. First ever Queensland-trained trotter to qualify for the Derby, let alone win. Yes, he went off at big odds, but he won. And that race, the Victoria Trotters Derby, has been run since 1914. So that's how long that race has been around. And now he's come out and won another Group 1 race, taking the Breeders' Crown, again beating the best available. They're not resting on their laurels as well, David, because he flies out from Victoria, Melbourne on Wednesday, to Auckland. He'll have a little couple of days stopover in Auckland, and then he makes his way down to Christchurch because because they're going to target the New Zealand Trotting Derby. Imagine if he wins the New Zealand Trotting Derby. A Queensland-trained trotter, he's going up against the likes of Mark Purden, Paul Nan, some of the all-time greats, and he's he's a legitimate chance. He's only been beaten the once since being under the care of Graham Dwyer. Let me pose this one to you as well. If he goes to New Zealand and wins the New Zealand Trotting Derby off the back of the Victoria Trotters Derby and now the Breeders' Crown, so three big group ones... Is he in the running for the Queensland Harness Horse of the Year or is Leap to Fame a lock? Or does Leap to Fame need to win ID23 to confirm that he will be the Horse of the Year? You've left a lot of questions and I can't find the answers. I'll have a think about it and we'll talk. You, you enjoy Friday night, first round of the series, and we'll talk next Monday. Look forward to it. Thanks, David. Chris Barsby joining us. He'll call his first Inter Dominion too uh, at uh, Albion Park this Friday night with the first round of heats. And just on tab fixed as far as the trotters are concerned, just believe at $1.80, Queen Alita at three fifty, Olavici at $7, double figures the rest. Now, you'll recall this program was highly critical of uh, a leak that suggested the Inner Dominion would be run at 6 o'clock on grand final night. Uh, I couldn't believe it. Well, we got a change. We got a change. I don't know if this show helped it, but... <laughs> uh, Sanity prevailed, but only to a little degree. The Inter-Dominion Grand Final is going to be run on Friday, December 16... Oh, sorry, Saturday, December 16, at 6.30. So I can't even say Saturday night. It will be Saturday afternoon when it's still daylight. The Inter-Dominion to be run at 6.30. We'll take a break. Back with more shortly. You're listening to Press Room with David Fowler on Radio Tab. If it's equine or canine, your one-stop shop is Garrard's Horse and Hound. 13 stores across Australia and New Zealand. Garrard's Horse and Hound stock all of the big names and they provide the best, the best in veterinary services. You can buy the products online, horseandhound.com.au or there's a free call number, 1-800-060-896. 1-800-060-896. Garrard's Horse and Hound, proud supporters of Press Room right from day one. Ben Scallon joins us now here on Press Room. Ben, good morning. Morning, David. How are you? Um, well, I, I was initially critical when they moved the, the Hall of Fame component from the awards night, which is, I think, held in late August, to this day. When you're wrong, you're wrong, and I put my hand up. I think having the Hall of Fame announced and then being part of the presentation at the luncheon on the Saturday gives a lot more emphasis and focus. Would you agree with that? Yeah, look, I, I think so, and I, I was certainly on your on your side when thinking it was very strange to move it away from from our our main national um, racing awards night for the year. But um, it did work well, didn't it, on Saturday? I think having those races named after the three inductees into the Racing Hall of Fame 
again, being part of those presentations, it kind of did add, add a little bit of something extra rather than just being, well, not, not an afterthought, but potentially being potentially overshadowed by some of the awards that go out on that awards night. So to have it as a standalone feature on Saturday, which is a very big day of racing here in South Australia, I think ended up working well. So yeah, congratulations to, um, to officials for making that decision and proving us both wrong. <laughs> Three inductees, and I'm always heartened when I see that an inductee is still alive, whether it be, well, probably not so much a horse, <laughs> but 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 uh, but it can happen in some cases, but certainly with the human side of things. And David Peacock has been a great asset to South Australian racing on many fronts, and this is where I think the worthiness comes in. He's not only acknowledged as a very successful, highly successful owner and breeder, but, of course, he's been a very competent and well-respected administrator, twice the chairman of the SAJC. And, of course, as many of our listeners know, when you see the discreet name, the moniker, it's generally associated with, with David Peacock. So this was uh, one inductee thoroughly deserving. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right, David has been, um, you know, he's been part of part of the racing game ever since I've been part of it and well beforehand, I'm sure, as well. And you said those lime green colours, we all know them, the, the discreet colours as we, we've come to call them. Um, yeah, David's had huge success as an owner, as a breeder, yeah, really significant administrator, been been part of the jockey club through, chairman of the jockey club through some challenging times and, you know, he's been very, um, you know, very strong in, in standing by the club and making sure that, um, you know, it's been as good a, good a shape as it possibly could have been over the years. So, yeah, he's he's been a massive contributor to racing here in South Australia and and that induction into the Hall of Fame is certainly richly, richly deserved, along with Glenn Pretty, who was, um, you know, a very, very successful jockey here. Um, I read that he was actually the leading jockey in Singapore as well when he rode there for a period of time, had good success in Hong Kong. He's still involved um, behind the scenes here. I think he's on the um, the Racing Appeals Tribunal or something like that, but he's certainly got some kind of um, some role here in, in an official sense here in South Australia. And, yeah, he's been... Uh, you know, a, a huge player in the jockey ranks for a long period of time as well. The third one's Fleur, who I know virtually nothing about. She was a three-time Group 1 winner trained by Colin Hayes, runner-up in the Cox Plate, apparently. I think also runner-up in the Melbourne Cup. So, obviously, oh, you know, really high-quality stayer, Fleur. Yeah, and, and this, I think the significance of Fleur being inducted to the Hall of Fame was this was the, almost the catalyst horse that, that got things really rolling for Colin Hayes' presence in Melbourne. Like, He'd been well acknowledged as, as the best in Adelaide or South Australia, but Fleur, by his deeds there in Melbourne in the late 60s, was able to uh, you know, give Colin a, a good entry point and be seen in Victorian racing. So congratulations to David and Glenn and also to Fleur being inducted to the Hall of Fame. Uh, good news coming out of Racing SA. They've returned a, a, a surplus in excess of $7 million for the, the past financial year. Yeah, so I guess we were kind of, you know, these these are the kind of things that can drift away, and you forget about the fact that, um, you know, end of end of financial year reports are due to be lodged, and yeah, Racing SA has announced a seven point two seven million dollar surplus for the twenty twenty two twenty three year. So it's um, you know a very significant result when you consider how things might have looked a few years ago. Um, yeah, they've done a done a really good job. There's been some um, some belt tightening um, in terms of you know, expenditure. They've been very um, very mindful of, of where they're spending money, how they're spending money, but they've also had the opportunity to increase prize money. That's obviously the point of consumption tax uh, relief has certainly helped there. Um, they've also invested money in doing infrastructure. Feels like things are actually yeah, going going on just nicely here in South Australia at the moment. We've got these, you know, prize money levels are sitting at a nice level. We had a day like Saturday where there were $600,000 races, had a really good spread of winners on Saturday as well and um, jockey fees have gone up too so yeah, uh, you know, we don't want to um, get too far ahead of ourselves but it does feel like um, things are in a good solid shape at the moment That's that's got to be a, a credit to Racing SA and the way that they've managed things over the past few seasons. Yeah, small steps are important ones, and we hope those uh, steps continue in the right direction. You mentioned the day of racing on Saturday, and it was a good day of racing. 
a wide assortment of winners and, and trainers. Yeah. Maybe the putters won't agree with us because there are a lot of roughies got up there. One of those was a horse called Puncher, and I've got to confess, I need your help here. I don't know the trainer's yeah. background, Gary Boyce. Gary Boyce, well, uh, nobody knows a whole lot about Gary Boyce. He's um, only trained a few horses. He's had his licence for just over a year. He's knocking about, helped with Michael Hickman a little bit. He's got a got some stables at Murray Bridge. It was actually a really good day for Murray Bridge as a training base. I had a, had a, a few winners come out of the stables there at Murray Bridge, and Gary Boyce is one of those. He um, did a really nice job with punching, didn't he? I think he's only won two races, Gary Boyce, and uh, both of those have been with punching. So pretty significant that one of those was this um, David Peacock final on Saturday, a $65,000 race. That'll be a, a massive boost for a, for a trainer like Gary who, you know, would only have one or two horses in work at any one time. And um, he's always been around horses and helped out with a few different people. But, yeah, he decided to go out on his own and well, get his licence just over a year ago. I think it was September last year. And, yeah, delivered the, the biggest result of his short career on Saturday with punching. Yeah, exactly right. And uh, hats off to Nadia Horn from Thoroughbred Solutions. She joins us each Saturday morning on Racing HQ Saturdays, and she gave Punch on a more than honourable mention. So hopefully, yeah, some too, of our listeners had smart, something on Nadia. it. That's too good. Yeah, exactly right. Justin Pickering uh, also only has a small team. He's doing a terrific job with all beings. This horse is very much in form. Yeah, flying, isn't he? He was favourite on Saturday, and he was really dominant. Not that he did a did a super job. That was in the Country Sprint Series final, another $65,000 race, the Glen, Glen Pretty race. So another one of the Hall of Fame inductees um, acknowledged there. And yeah, Justin, as you said, is doing, he does a really nice job with his team. But I think he probably, he would train a good half dozen. I'll say Jill, Jill Adore is another horse, had really good success with recently. Free Beer, getting some city winners. He's actually doing a doing a really good job of building his reputation as a as a good quality trainer. Justin does a does a really nice job, and All Beans has certainly um, helped build that reputation. He's been been really good this horse, and he was really really strong winner on Saturday. So it was a it was a great effort. He's also based out of Murray Bridge, Justin as well. I think he might have initially been at Morfordville, but he's um, yeah now now his horses are officially trained out of Murray Bridge. And more than honourable mentions to Darren McLeod, who trained Danish Fortune, and, and Ashton Downing, who trained Manzala, who won the Sky Bow at Big Odds. Just before you go, Narricourt was scheduled to run on Friday. What happened there? Yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a funny old day weather-wise. We had quite a lot of rain on um, on Thursday here in South Australia, and, and Narricourt was... It seemed like it was the centre of the universe. It was a, there was a, a freak storm there. There was hail. Um, saw photos of of streets being flooded so it was yeah it was crazy crazy weather it decided that that um 90 percent of the rain in south australia all, all was centered on maricourt and yeah they had absolutely no chance of those races going ahead unfortunately had a, had a huge amount of rain so they just had to postpone it haven't heard if they've if they've rescheduled that meeting yet but um yeah they're yeah, just um bashed by the unlucky stick on um on friday unfortunately good on you mate we'll talk soon thanks david there is Ben Scadden. Big night coming at Launceston on Wednesday, and I'm looking forward to the new market. The field is out. Uh, I'll give you the draw. Ox- Oxley Road 13, Indispensable 6, Turk Warrior 2, Rebel Factor 9, Alpine Wolf 3, First Accused 4, Jaja Chabugi at 5, Galena's 12. Now, Hell of a Night is a scratching already to draw on the 10. Hype Barrier 7, Street Tough 1, Fake Magic 8, Jaguar Stone 11. It's race 7 at 9 o'clock Tassie time. Colin McNiff, as you join us, uh, a good field, $150,000 listed race, and several of these are resuming as well, so it's quite an intriguing race. Yeah, and all of them that uh, are resuming have been trialling pretty well. Turk Warrior, Rebel Factor, Alpine Wolf, all first up from a spell. They all went around at the Longford trials last Tuesday, all trialled very nicely, in particular Rebel Factor. Craig Newitt coming across to ride uh, Rebel Factor in the new market on Wednesday night. Yeah, really good field. It's always a good race. It's uh, our premier sprint race of the season, and uh, I'm sure that uh, everybody's pretty happy with the field that has been thrown together. It's going to be a fairly open betting affair with lots of chances. I think there's probably five or six really strong chances of uh, of taking out the new market on Wednesday night. Have you got an early leaning to anything? Yeah, look, uh, I think well, Turk Warrior is nicely drawn in, in barrier number two. I really like the way Rebel Factor got to the line 
And uh, Alpine will first up from a spell. Well, first up from a spell ran a track record over a thousand and nine metres at Devonport at its uh, last campaign. It's a horse capable of anything. So I think they are the top three, uh, numbers three, four, and five. But not sure of the order as yet. Of course, there's no the inevitable. There was talk that uh, he might run. He was nominated uh, for the Newmarket handicap, but John Keyes was always uh, always doubtful about whether he'd run the inevitable and. Perhaps uh, prefer to save him for the, the conquering, which is a weight for age race over 1,400 metres coming up in a fortnight. There's another good race on the card, Col, at 7.50, race 5. It's the three-year-old cup over 1,200 mm. metres, and it carries 125,000 in prize money. The race has really lifted in the past few years, and uh, this again has drawn together a good field. There's lots of horses going around that have only had one or two starts um, in particular, Doro Star, who's a really nice type, and uh, it's drawn gate number one again. Craig knew it looked uh, probably could absolutely ride the two race uh, feature race double here, but uh, uh, Bine has had two starts for Adam Trinder, unbeaten uh, in her two runs, but she's drawn barrier 13. Press for Boom has only had one start. Uh, Johnny Blacker trains, Lee and Rawdon coming over to ride. It uh, was very impressive and it's only win. And one of Johnny Keyes has got called Naval Anthem. Uh, it's had two starts, both of them in New Zealand and uh, one on both occasions. It, it has trialled here a couple of times and did win at its most recent trial and Jason Maskeel is across to ride Naval Anthem. So there's been water. Siggy Carr's horse was also a very impressive winner in Hobart. Uh, first up in the spell. It's going to be a very good race. Always is uh, the, uh, the three-year-old cup. Look forward to the coverage on Wednesday night. David Perez was back with a bang there yesterday. I think four at Hobart. Yeah, he loves Hobart. Uh, he really does ride this track so well. It was a soft five. It was playing pretty well, but David just found the crown of the track. Uh, I'm not sure if it was a fast lane or not, but he got every one of his four winners coming down the crown of the track, and they raced really impressively. Great to see Dave uh, getting back into the winner's circle. He's had a bit of a rough time with all that's been happening with his good mate, Scott Brunt. And of course, they were a fabulous team together, and Dave's had a bit of a rough start to the season, but really starting to find his feet, as is John Keyes. And John, of course, is the father-in-law of Scott Brunt and the father of, of Tegan Keyes. And John, who's uh, nearing 70 years of age, has uh, put his hand up and, uh, and taken over the team. And he, too, was uh, has taken a while to find his feet with these horses. He's, of course, got the majority of Scott's uh, horses. But he's, uh, he trained a winning treble there, and he's won nine uh, races from his last 25 starters. So he's, uh, he's really starting to get into his groove, John Keyes. And, and just on, uh, on winners, I must mention that last Wednesday night, Hannah LeBlanc, who's an apprentice jockey, who is a fly-in, comes across to the Tassie meeting. She rode three for trainer Brenda McChain, so they combined to have a pretty good night out at the meeting in Launceston last week. Good work. Thanks, Colin. Cheers. Thanks, David. Colin McNiff joining us here on Press Room. And that is Press Room for Monday the 27th of November. Hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks for your company, as always, and I look forward to joining you again next Monday. Have a good day. Bye-bye.